Man, good morning. So excited to just be here with you guys this morning and to um, open up this word. Um, I'm just going to pray again. I know maybe like some of you are like, man, they pray all the time um, here. It's like the prayingest bunch of people. Yeah, we do. Because um, if we don't, we don't have anything this morning. Um, it, um, it's one of those weird things where we could probably do church, right? Like do the songs. We could do songs, right? People do songs all the time. We could probably do that without God. And we could probably even stand up here and give a speech without God. Um, but man, without God, there's nothing really worth anything that's going to happen this morning. And um, I'm in need, so I'm going to pray. And you can pray with me or for me or whatever you want to do. But I'm just going to pray. Father God, this morning, I need you. Um, God, I'm praying that you just speak into this place, God, that even now you support your spirit on this place, God. It's too important, um, God, to miss it. God, your word is too um, much for us to just look over. So, God, this morning, I'm just praying that you just would move in this place in a way, God, that just changes everything about us, God, everything about me. Um, God, I know that um, there's power in who you are. I've seen it. I've been exper- I've experienced it. Um, God, and I'm just praying for that same power um, this morning just to pierce our hearts, God, every person in the room, God, that um, we may have walked in here in the most hopeless spot, God, in, in desperation in our soul, but God, this morning, the truth of it is Jesus is enough for whatever we got. And God, this morning, I'm just praying that Jesus would move in this place um, in, in a way that changes us, God, that this morning, uh, your word in Second uh, Corinthians 4, 4 says that we're spiritually blind, um, that the enemy has put a veil over our eyes and we can't see you. Um, but God, this morning, my prayer is that you would just lift that, um, God, that we could see you today a little more. Um, God, we, any person in this place that doesn't know you, Jesus, that the gospel would just pierce their heart. Um, God, this morning, and that it wouldn't be an intellectual thing, but a spiritual thing, a blessing from God. Um, God, just move in us. God, move in me. We love you and we need you. Amen. Amen. Um, so this morning, like I said, we're going to be in Acts 16, and we're just going to open the Word together today. I think a couple weeks ago I said it's not a series, and, and it kind of has been, right? It just hasn't had a name, but for the past few weeks we've been talking about this idea of the sovereignty of God and the definition of sovereignty. I think we got it back there. Um, it's coming. There you go, sovereignty, I cued it. Did you see that? Right on time. Uh, is the supreme power and authority. To, to be sovereign is to have supreme power and authority. And we've been talking about that the past few weeks. And really, I'll be honest, it just blows my mind um, <laughs> that God has the supreme power and authority, um, not just in this place or our hearts and lives, but like in the universe, everything he created today he's in charge of, and he has supreme power and authority over those things. And in a I say that to say this, um, God is really completely in charge. Amen. Isn't that crazy? Um, man, sometimes for us, it's, it's such a good reminder, isn't it? Because like it feels like everything's falling apart sometimes, and I get that. Like I've been through that, and some of you guys are in that right now, and it feels like maybe everything around you is just breaking apart today. And I just want to say, like, if that's you... Um, God is completely in charge. The same God today that um, holds the whole world in his hands, right, is in charge of your world. And it may feel like it's falling apart, but man, he's holding it together. And um, uh, we've been talking about that the past few weeks. And this morning, maybe just one more time in Acts, we're going to do that. And it's Acts 16. Um, The other day we talked about Acts, and Acts is a little different maybe than some of the 
letters we read acts as actually a narrative or a story about the early church and then later on kind of the back half of the book you get the missionary journeys of a man named Paul who actually ends up writing kind of most of the stuff that comes in after this. This is that book and it it tells us a story of like the first days of the church and what the church maybe went through in some of those early moments just in pieces and then it gets into the life of Paul after Paul is converted. Paul kind of has an amazing story. Paul is a man who was not a follower of Jesus. Actually he persecuted the church while Jesus was alive on the planet and then after. He wasn't really a fan of Jesus and he, he would he would have people locked up for being believers and then Jesus in a miraculous way showed up to him one day and and spoke to him in this light and he says hey I'm Jesus why are you persecuting me and from that moment on his his life was changed and he quit being a person who persecuted the church he became a person who devoted the rest of his life and would even actually die um, building up the same body that he used to persecute. And it's so it's such an amazing transformation, and that's what Jesus does in our lives if we know Jesus. It's not, I used to not really care about church, and now I kind of want to go, or I used to um, never go to church, and now I have to show up because I'm, all right? Like, it's, it's different than that. It's everything about us changes, and that's the story we're reading today is a story of a man named Paul out on this missionary journey. And um, before he goes on this journey, he selects a guy named Timothy. If you've ever read kind of the far back in the Bible, um, Timothy gets a couple letters written to him by Paul. But he selects a man named uh, Timothy to be his apprentice, right? Like this guy that would come alongside him and he would help build this ministry of, of the gospel. He would be somebody that eventually in Second Timothy, Paul commissions to continue this ministry that he is so passionate about. This is where he's chosen, and he chooses him, and then they go on this uh, missionary journey together um, to Europe. If you've got kind of verse 6 above that, it should say something about it. And it says, In 6, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in the providence of Asia. So they go out on their missionary journey. We're right here at the beginning of it, and they're going to go to a place called uh, Phrygia or Galatia. It's this middle area of what we would know as modern-day Turkey, which is Asia Minor, not Asia China, but Asia Minor. And and they're going to go out, and they're going to present the gospel they're wanting to evangelize in this area to plant some churches and make believers and it says this weird thing happens it says they were prevented um, from speaking the message right prevented not by townspeople or angry people that didn't want that religion there but they were actually prevented by the holy spirit from speaking the message in asia isn't that crazy like, did you just really think about that? What are, what are they doing here? They're going into this place, and their idea is we're going to spread the gospel. We're, we're going we're gonna to see people's lives change forever for the name of Jesus. That's the heart they're going into this with. And they come to this area, this middle region of Turkey, and they want to preach the gospel. And the Holy Spirit says, no. Isn't that like a weird thought? Isn't that strange? Like, why would the Holy Spirit tell us no if we were going to present the gospel, right? Now, the cool thing is, is the Holy Spirit at least had to tell him no, right? Because it's not the Holy Spirit that tells most of us no, don't present the gospel, by the way. Um, but, 
they're going in with this heart of, man, I want to see the gospel explode in this area. And then God, through the Holy Spirit's like, nope. How many of us in that moment would be like, well, I'm done then, right? Must not be me. This is not God's plan for my life. I'm going to go back to wherever I came from. I'm going to do my thing. I'm just going to quit trying to preach the gospel. That'd be a lot of us, but it's not Paul. So it says, when they came to Mysia and tried to go into Bithynia, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So what they did is they kind of pushed north. Bithynia is this area kind of at the very northern edge of Turkey, right under the sea. And then over to the left of that is this upper region of Mysia. So they're trying to go up into Bithynia in the spirit of God, right? The spirit of Jesus says, no, that's not what we're going to do. What do you mean, no, it's not what we're going to do, Jesus? Like, we're going to tell your story. This is what you told us to do, right? Like, the Great Commission, if you've been around church very long, like, you've heard it at least, right? Matthew 28, go make disciples, right? He's like, that's what we're trying to do, and you said it. It was your words. You said it. Jesus, why won't you let us go into Bithynia, right? Must not be my call, right? That'd be me, right? Oh, man, I've tried twice now. That's pretty good. I've, I've tried it two times, and, and two times you told me no. The Holy Spirit showed up first, and then Jesus showed up. This must not be God's plan for my life. But that's not what Paul does, right? It says that actually after he couldn't go up into Bithynia, he continued through uh, Mysia up around the coast, and it says that they came down to Troas. Now, Troas is in the region of Mysia, so if you're thinking regions, this would be like East Tennessee, right? And Troas would be like Knoxville. It's like the city inside of a region, and Troas is a city in Mysia that's kind of on the coast over on the very far eastern side. And he comes to this area of Troas, right? He settles. He's like, okay, we'll just go to Troas. You do whatever you want to do. I'm running out of ideas here, God. He goes to Troas, and it says that when he gets to Troas during the night, so from my reading here, maybe even that first night, during the night, a vision appeared to Paul. So God begins to speak to Paul in a vision. And this vision is a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. He gets to Troas, which is the city in the very northeastern side of Turkey, what we know today as Turkey. Macedonia is an island and a landmass away. This is the closest place he could be possibly to Macedonia at this moment. And that's the moment where God speaks to him. And I just think that's crazy because for most of us, right, we would have quit somewhere along the journey because we kept being in the wrong place. And in the story, God uses the wrong place repeatedly to put him in the right place. Isn't that crazy? See, I think so many times we think about the destination, right? We're like, I need to be in the space. I need to be in the place that God has for me. And maybe God's more about like a journey for us. Maybe God's moving us to a destination, but he's going to do that through a journey. And maybe that journey is going to be filled with rough moments and hard times and questions and then the wrong place. But maybe the wrong place is just there to get us to the right place. You get what I'm saying? 
So he goes up and he's like, okay, missionary journey, got Timothy, preparing my man here. I'm going to go up from Jerusalem into this area of Turkey, this, this Galatia, Phrygia area. He goes north, right? Wrong. You're not far enough yet. So he goes north. Wrong. You're not far enough yet. So he goes northeast and he's like, now I got you in the closest place and now's when I'm going to speak to you. You didn't need the directions back in Jerusalem. You weren't close enough yet. I'm moving you to where I need you. And when I get you where I need you, I'll speak to you. So he gets to Troas, and this man shows up in a vision, a Macedonian man. Now, Macedonia is part of Greece, kind of the coastal side. It's this region of modern-day Greece. And the Macedonian man shows up, and he's like, hey, um, I need you to come here. So what does Paul do? Well, now I know what you have for me, right? Or at least in part. He doesn't know who the man is, to my knowledge. He's never met Tony, right? But he's on his way, right? So he crosses over, and he gets to Macedonia, and some amazing things start happening in Macedonia. He's there for just a few days, and he's seeing people converted. There's a lady named Lydia who gets converted, and she's just kind of a bystander. He's not even talking to her. She's kind of hanging out over here. He's not the, she's not the direct target of the gospel, but she hears the gospel because he's speaking it over here, and she becomes a believer, and her family becomes believers, and it's like, man, things are clicking here. We're in the right spot, and then this weird story happens around verse 16. And it says, once as they were on their way to prayer, something they did every day outside of the city, a slave girl met us who had the spirit of prediction. He starts telling this story about this demon-possessed girl who had the, the demon gave her the ability to make predictions, kind of like a fortune teller. Uh, she could tell, see into the future or, or tell who people maybe were. And it says they made her owners, because she was a slave girl with a demon, her owners made a large profit off of her by fortune telling. So you have this slave girl who has a demon, who owners make money off. It's a weird story, right? And it says in 17 that one day she decided to follow Paul and us, whoever us is, and she cried out, these men are the slaves of the Most High God. Now that's a cool thing, I guess, if there's a demon. At least that's what they're saying about you, because when I hear things about me, it's not normally like positive things. <laughs> I hear a lot, you know, that guy's a jerk. or whatever. You know, like I hear negative things a lot of times. I don't really hear as many positive things. So they're hearing some really awesome kind of stuff, and it's a demon saying it, so maybe that's weird, but all in all, these men are slaves of the Most High God. That's not really a bad thing, right? Now, most of you, let's just admit it today. Like, if you could get somebody to follow you around at work and be like, man, he's such a good guy. I love that guy. He's so righteous and good. He's, he's forgiving. He's holy, right? He's a slave of God. He's, you'd be about that, wouldn't you? Sitting at the water cooler and there's just somebody over here, man. Have you ever met him? He's, he's a good dude. He's, you'd be about that. But something <laughs> apparently is annoying about this to Paul. He's not a fan of whatever's happening. So after day, after day, after day, after day of this, he turns around to her one day and he casts out the demon. He's like, leave her. And it does, which is kind of also cool, right? So he turns around and he says, leave her. And the demon does, um, but this is not something that makes the owners of this girl happy because how are they making money off this girl? She has a spirit of prediction. She's a fortune teller, and now the demon or the spirit is gone, and now their money train is gone, and the owners are not happy. 
Isn't that crazy? Start doing stuff for God and people aren't always happy about it, right? So it's a good thing he did, right? Like she had a demon, he got rid of the demon. That's a positive thing, right? Like that probably for that girl was an amazing thing. The owner's not so much, but if you start doing stuff for God, um, people are not going to be fans of that. So they, they cast out this demon, and then the owners get mad. So what they do is they, they take Paul, and who we're going to find out is Silas, and they take him before the chief magistrates of the city, and, and they strip them, which is humiliating, right? Anybody, I, don't, I didn't ever have these dreams, but I've heard of people that have these dreams where you like show up naked to school, right? Yeah, humiliating, right? Like every, That's a fear for like I don't want to, it's weird, humiliating, right? So they humiliate them, and then they beat them, and then they have them cast into jail. But not just like any part of the jail, the the very center of the jail, the most protected, guarded area in the jail where they're behind the most bars and doors and locks, right? With the most guards in between them and the exit, they put them in there. And not only are they in that place, it's like we're not ever going to get out of here unless they let us out of here. They take their feet and they clamp them between these two pieces of wood, these stocks. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever had your shoes tied together, it makes motion hard, right? (laughs) So you can imagine if you had your feet clamped in a piece of wood, the idea there is that you aren't walking anywhere. Can you imagine trying to get out of the jail if you could even move like that, if you don't have good balance, you're not going anywhere. Uh, and this is the situation these guys were in. I did a good thing, right? Finally thought, God, you were in the pla- I was in the place I was supposed to be, and I'm doing your work, and people are getting saved, and they're coming to know you, and the church is thriving. And then I even cast out a demon, which is kind of crazy, and, and then this is where I am. In a city, by the way, that I didn't even want to be in, right? I was trying to go to Galatia, and then that didn't work, and I tried to go to Bithynia, and that didn't work, and then I went to Troas because there wasn't anything else to do, and, and then you spoke to me, and you told me to come here, and now I'm in Philippi, the city in Greece, I'm here, and, and I think I'm in the right spot, and then I do one thing that's like a thing that I thought you probably wanted me to do, and now I'm in jail. That'd be me, right? That'd be you, right? Let's be honest today. Anybody super holy in here, maybe that's not you, but for most of us, right, including me, that'd be me. I'd be a little frustrated at this point in time because, God, I was doing your work. I had ideas and plans and things, and you crushed all those things, and I didn't even whine about it. I just went to Philippi, and I was in Philippi, and you were doing stuff, and I thought I was in the right spot, and I was doing your work, and I'm a good person doing the thing, and then you have me now in the middle of the jail in the stocks, and I'm not a fan of that. That'd be me. I don't know about you, but that'd be me. Because you look at that and you're like, that doesn't, that's not fair, right? So that like question, why do bad things happen to good people? I, I can answer that for you this morning. There are no good people. But, but you've maybe been in the boat where you're like trying to follow God and you're trying to do the thing and you're like attending church and you're like being a good person and you quit cussing so much and like, you know, you're trying to not eat as much pizza or whatever like is your thing, right? You're, you're trying to do that and then everything starts falling apart around you and then what, what do we do? God, how do you let this happen? God, why you left? Why'd you leave me? Why'd you turn your back on me? I was doing your thing. I was, it was in your work, right? And stuff happens, 
and we get frustrated. That, that's, that's, that's us. I know it because I've been it and I've seen it. People chasing after God, uh, on fire for God. I learned what that meant, by the way, this week. Um, people used to be burnt for following God. That's on fire for God. So if you're on fire for God, uh, just remember what you're comparing yourself to, right? It's not, I really like that song. It's, I would literally burn for Christ. So just saying. But people are on fire for God, right? And then stuff starts falling apart, and they're like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And I'm not like throwing you under the bus. I'm just saying I'm human. I've had these thoughts. You're human. You've had these thoughts. Let's just come together today. Stuff starts falling apart. And the first thing we do is we start blaming God. God, how'd you leave me? God, why'd you forget me? God, why'd you turn your back on me? I'm doing this stuff for you. And then you're not doing your part. And the problem is maybe that we have the perspective wrong. We think if we do this, that God has to do this. If we follow you, everything's going to be okay. It didn't say that anywhere in the Bible. We just made that up. Right? Jesus followed God better than anybody, and they nailed him to wood. But stuff starts happening, and it falls apart, and we're like, dude, I don't know if I want to. We start having real questions, right? I don't know if I want to do this. And, and Thursday night, we've been talking about Abraham, and he watched Lot and his family seemingly what we thought die in the story he didn't know any different and he left where God had him and he went somewhere else for a while and hung out and fell back into old patterns Abraham was a great man of faith if he can do it we can do it right but we do that so you can see maybe how in the story if we were writing the story that we would have maybe a a different story right there's a reason I quit reading most of you have heard this before you know that's not how it goes but that's our story, isn't it? And in the darkest moments of our life, when bad things happen and, and our world starts falling apart, our greatest instinct is to do what? It's to run from the only person who really can help us anyway. We're blaming the wrong guy, first of all. But I don't know if I want to do this. That's, that's our thoughts. But it doesn't have to be the answer, does it? See, that, that's, that's what I know, and it's what I've experienced, and it's what I've seen, and it's maybe even what, I, what I've done at times, but it doesn't have to be the thing, does it? Just because it's all I've ever seen doesn't mean I have to do that thing. Just because it's all I've ever known or done doesn't mean I have to do it. There is another option, and it goes down in 25, right? And it's midnight deliverance. Hey, story, we already know what's going to happen. But 25 says about midnight. Now imagine this. I'm at midnight. I'm in the darkest place of this jail. I'm in the very middle, surrounded by the most walls and the most doors. I'm underground because that's how we did jails back then. And they've basically put me under the jail, right? You ever heard that expression? Put you under the jail. It's when you're really mad at somebody. They put them in the, in, the, in the darkest place without any uh, option for light to penetrate, right? And, and, and they're in the place where they're between the most things. They can't get out on their own. They're, they're stocked in, and they know, like, this is not going to go well for me. Now, if this is me, I'm probably flipping around on the floor, trying to get up on my feet, doing my thing, trying to get out. Because if I can stand up, I'm going to get through the next 72 doors and the 300 guards. Like, that's me. I, I'm not smart. But, but... Maybe that's you. But it's in the very darkest place, right? Middle of the night, 
This would be something that would be hopeless by all standards, right? There's no way I'm getting out of this. Even if I think I can get out of this, I'm not really getting out of this. And maybe I'm trying, but I'm not getting out of this. It's like a hopeless spot. It's the middle of the night. And usually this is the part where we're very frustrated at God and we're being very honest with God, which I don't think is a bad thing. Usually this would be the part in the story where we're like, God, why would you let this happen? Why am I here? I was doing your thing, and then you quit. I'm done with you, God. This is about midnight. There was a man named Paul, right, and Silas. Now, here's the amazing thing about these two guys. Are you ready for it? Here's the secret. They are just like us. They are 103,000%, right? Just like us. They're made up of the same stuff. They are flesh and bones and blood. They have brains like ours, and they probably even think stupid stuff like us, right? These men are not half God. These men are just men. So whatever response they have, we have the ability to have. There's nothing special in the DNA of these guys. This is about midnight, a man like us named Paul and Silas, they were praying. They were praying. That's, that's a great idea in jail, right? Like if I'm trapped in the middle of the night in a place I don't want to be and life's falling apart and this doesn't seem like it's where I should be, it doesn't seem to me like it's the plan of God, it feels like everything is falling apart, maybe prayer is a good thing to do. It's not always the first thing we think of, but maybe that's a good thing to do and that's what they started with. See, in reality, nothing's ever going to happen, right, until we, until we ask God to do it. There's no power in us or ability in us. These are men, and they are flesh and blood, and they are keenly aware of their flaws and their disabilities. They're standing there, and they're looking at their situation, and their situation says, you're never going to get out of this, and this is not going to end well. So what do they do? They don't flip around on the floor forever trying to work it out for themselves. They look at the stocks, and they say, I can't get out of these stocks. See, it all starts with reality, doesn't it? It all starts with this realization that there's no power and ability in me. All the power and the ability is from God. And they look at the situation, and the situation sometimes is a good thing yeah. because it forces us to see that there's no power in us. What's, what's God say to Paul when he's like, dude, I've prayed over and over and over and over again for you to take this away from me, and you won't take it away from me? What's God say? Yeah, because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Isn't it nuts that God would say that? He's like, I'm frustrated. I want you to take this away. I want you to take this away. And I want you to take this away. And God's like, no, dude, the splinter's there so you know you need me. If you start believing your deity, you're going to walk away from me. You need to know that you're man and your flesh and blood and your bones and you can't do anything. You need to stare at the stocks today that are in your life and you need to realize there's nothing you can do to fix that. You need to stare at the doors, and you need to see today you're in the middle of the jail, and there's all kinds of doors and obstacles in between you, and then there's no way, even if you had a shovel today, you'd get yourself out of this. Even if you had the key today, you couldn't get yourself out of this, because if you could unlock all the doors, there's guards there, and you're a man with a board, right? Board or sword? I'm pretty sure I know who's winning that. We need to be aware of the obstacles in our life. We need to be aware of the disability in us because when we're aware of that, we are aware and we become aware of the ability and something greater than us. You are not great, but you are surrounded by something great. So it says they start praying. 
Now, let's just be honest. Probably stuff like this. God, get us out of here. God, we want to go back to your work. I don't think they were praying, saying, you know what, this is awesome. It's relaxing. I love jail. Sit here with my boards. Right? Like, I don't don't think that's the image of the jail. And I don't think that's what God expects you to do in jail. Oh, I love it. I love it when my life's falling apart. I'm so thankful that I'm going through this. I love, I love, I love, I love persecution. It's so good. I love disease. I don't think God expects you to do that. And I think what they were probably praying was things like, God, if you could just be, get us out of here, that'd be great. I think it might have been followed by, but your will be done. Yeah. Right? Like Jesus was going to the cross, and what did he say? God, I don't really want to do this. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But if this is the only way, it's the only way. Let your will be done. So they might have been in jail thinking, you know what, this is horrible. Smells funny in here. There's like rats crawling on me. I can't move. I've got bruises and gashes, and I'm laying on this cold stone floor. It doesn't feel good. God, if you would rescue me from this, I would be so grateful. But if you don't, your will be done. Now that's that's a prayer. God, rescue me from this or we're done. I guess we're done because that's not how it works. He may rescue you because our God is a gracious and good God, but if you can be done, I don't know that you ever started. So they pray. But then they do this crazy, weird thing, right? They praise. They sing hymns to God. They pray, God, help us out of this. But then they praise. Now, I don't know about you, but imagine this. Like, how how hard would it be in that situation of everything I know is upside down? God, I want you to rescue me from it. And I hope you do. If you don't, it's fine. But no matter what, I will worship you. Let me, let me rewind because that, that's pretty powerful. God, I, I want you to rescue me from this. That's fine. And I hope you do. Fine. But if you don't, which is an option. I'm going to worship you anyway. Now see, why that's so powerful is that takes some perspective, right? That takes, that takes some perspective because in that, you have to realize that God is God. You are not God. You don't know what's best for your life, and even greater than that, you don't know what's best for the universe. 
You have no idea what God is doing and weaving and working. You're just a piece of the puzzle. You're just this little thing kind of in the middle. And we don't know if you're a mountain or a tiger or, or a swing set. We have no idea what you are cosmically. And it takes perspective to see that there is a God who sees the whole picture, the whole puzzle. And in that perspective, you have to realize if God knows what's best and he knows everything, then wherever I am right now, even if it's in the middle of the jail, in the middle of the night, surrounded by guards and bars and stocks, laying here with bruises, I have enough faith today to say, God, this is where you want me. God, this is where you want me. Is this hitting anybody like it's hitting me? Wherever you are today, whatever's going on in your life, God has not forgot you, and he's not lost you, and he's not looked away. He's actually perfectly placed you in the puzzle, in the place where he wants you to be. And when you see the whole thing, it'll all make sense. But right now, we just got to trust that God sees the whole thing. And to him, it all makes sense. And that is the perspective that causes us, yes, to pray. God, I don't want to be here. Let's just be honest today. Some of you are going through things today that you would just rather not go through. And that's okay. That's 100% okay. But even in that moment as we're praying, God, rescue me from this. God, get me out of this. God, pull me out of this. God, I don't want to be in this place. We got to have enough faith just to reach out and say, but if you don't, this is where you want me. Right here. And I don't see it all, but you see it all. And you're good. And that is the perspective that, that shifts us in the middle of the night, in the middle of the jail, in the middle of the darkest place to still sing songs of praise. God, it's not my circumstances that determine whether you are good or not. Stocks on the feet don't change who you are. You're good. Even in the stocks, you're good. Bruises on the back, they don't change who God is, right? Cuts and gashes and, and being beat. Like that doesn't change anything about who God is. He's still good. Even when today is not. And in those moments, those moments when I see it and I can believe it and I can say it even when it hurts, right? God, you're so good. You're so good to me. And I'm going through something right now, but you're good. I'm, uh, my, my days are bad, but you're good. My world's falling apart, but God, you're good. You're good to me. Something happens in us. Something happens in us. When we move from that place of prayer to praise, something happens. And I see there's this amazing thing. God is a God with ability to do what we're asking him to do. And praise is the fuel that reminds us of the ability God has to do what, what he can only he can do. 
You, you, so they're sitting here in this jail and they're singing these hymns. What do you think they're singing about? God, you're faithful. God, you're good. God, you're always right. God, you know so much. God, there's nothing that's greater than you. And as they're singing these truths, what's happening in their heart is that they're being reminded as they pray, God, get me out of this, that they're praying to the one that has the ability to get them out of this. See, when we, when we will move from, from prayer to praise and not just pray, 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 be disgusted at God because he's not doing it, pray, 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 be mad at God because he's not doing it. And it's not prayer and pouting. It's prayer and praise. Amen. Prayer and pouting is the thing that says, I have to fear here. I have, God doesn't know what's going on. God has left me. That's prayer and pouting. Prayer and praise says, God, you always know. So I will pray, God, get me out of this, because I believe that God has the ability to get me out of this. Praise is the fuel that says God is faithful and God is good. And today's not good, but yesterday was good. And it's the same God today as it was yesterday. So I'm going to believe today that God's still good and he can do good in and for and through me. Prayer and praise. So this is about midnight in the darkest moment. Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And it says this crazy thing is going on in this moment. And the prisoners were listening to them. Now can you imagine this? Out of max security in the jail, right? You're hearing, God, you're so good. They probably weren't singing that. At least not in English. Um, <laughs> God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. I am blessed. I am called. I am healed. I am whole. I'm saved in Jesus' name. And in the stocks, highly favored, with bruises on the back, highly favored, surrounded by guards, highly favored, and anointed, filled with your glory. The glory of Jesus' name. Can you imagine? Like that had an effect that rippled beyond what's going on in my cell, in my stocks. And the other prisoners they heard. And it says, suddenly, not 16 months later, although God's God and He can do what He wants. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. I love that. The thing that's holding you today, the thing that's trapped you today, God can even shake the foundations of it. He doesn't just have to open up the door. He can knock it all down from the bottom up. And the foundations of the thing that was holding them were shaken. It says immediately all the doors were open, not just their door. All the doors were opened and everyone's chain came loose. I love this because our freedom is not just for us. Other people's freedom is tied to our freedom. When we become free, other people will be set free. That's how it works. That's the gospel chain, right? Like, like salvation is never just for you and freedom is never just for you. God uses our salvation to bring salvation. God uses our freedom to bring freedom. That's the gospel chain. And it says in that moment when they were freed, all the doors were open. These guys are listening to this song about how God is good and then God just opens the door, right? What if they'd have been pouting? God, I can't believe you trapped us here. What are those people leaving their cells thinking about and talking about then? 
See, our attitude is contagious even to people that don't believe. And they'll watch you some when everything's going okay, but you better believe when you're in the middle of the jail, all the eyes are cut in. Because everything's going good in your life and you're walking around talking about how good God is. It's not really impressive to people. But when it's falling apart, that's when those people that are lost around you, they want to watch. And that's when faith is made or lost. So they get freed, and when they get freed, every person, not just some people, every person gets freed. This is in 27 when the jailer woke up, because, I mean, there was just an earthquake, right? And saw the doors to the prison were open, he drew his sword. He didn't draw his sword to fight back. It says he drew his sword because he was going to kill himself. Now the reason for this is if he let those prisoners go, the Romans were going to do a whole lot worse. A quick sword on the way out, that was way better than what they were going to do. So he pulls his sword and he starts to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. This is in 28, but Paul called out. Now Paul's still sitting in the jail cell. He can get up and go out if he wants to, but he doesn't. He stays where he is planted or placed, right? He stays in this moment, and he calls out of this moment with a loud voice, and he says, don't harm yourself because all of us are here. Everybody's still sitting here because everybody's a little bit amazed. (laughs) You can't even move right now. It's not the stocks that holds us here, and it's not the bars. It's the power of God. And we're all just amazed at it. So the jailer called for lights and he rushed in. And here's what he does. Crazy. Fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. It wasn't because he was scared of Paul and Cyrus. He was trembling because he was amazed because he'd never seen anything happen like what just happened. He's been a jailer for a whole lot of years. And there's probably been people call out to some God in that jail before. But there's never a God that's been able to answer It says he escorted them out. person holding them in is the person bringing them out. And he said to him this crazy thing, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You with me? Because this is the powerful moment of the whole story. Like everything up to here has been pretty good. But this jailer walks out and he, he says to them as he brings them out of this prison and what do I got to do to get that God I want to follow a God that can do that I've never seen anything like that I've never seen in all my years of standing here watching prisoners in the jail, in all my years of watching people go through persecution and trial, in all the years of watching darkness, I even caused darkness for some of these people. I've never seen anything like that. What do I got to do to get that? Do you get it yet? Do you see it yet? It's just part of me that wonders if Paul recognized that face. 
Maybe, maybe in Troas. I don't, I don't know. Maybe in Troas when he had that vision and that man was pleading, you got to come up here. Maybe this was the Macedonian man. It's, it's funny to me. God doesn't talk about men converts in the church up at this point in time. It's a lady named Lydia. He doesn't list anybody else, but here's this man. Maybe the reason that God blocked everything up until this moment was this is the whole reason that they went through any of that, right? I was going to Galatia, but the jailer, he wasn't in Galatia. So I thought I'd go to Bithynia, but the jailer, he didn't live in Bithynia. And then I went to Troas, but that's not where the jailer was. And then God spoke, and he gave me just a little piece. I didn't know who it was. I didn't have his address. I didn't have his name. I just knew I had to go to Philippi in Macedonia. And I thought I was being about God's plan. I was roaming around and I was doing the church thing. And I, I thought I was doing what I needed to do. I thought I was where I was supposed to be. And then, and then God did this weird, I don't even know where that girl came from. She was possessed and she walked up behind me. And, and then I just, I spoke and, and I cast out a demon. I was doing the work of God. It was amazing. And then I got beaten and thrown in jail, and it was like the middle of the night, and I'm in the darkest place that I've been in a while, and I'm chained to the floor, and I'm just praying, God, save me out of this place, but God wasn't really worried about saving me. He was working on the jailer. (laughs) I thought it was about me. I thought this whole thing was about me. I thought the whole story was about me, and the story's never been about me. It's always been about what God was doing around me and through me. So God threw me into jail, so through me, the jailer <laughs> could come to know Jesus. That's the sovereignty of God. That's the all power and all control of God. That when we think we're in the wrong place, and we think we're in the wrong place, and we think we're in the wrong place, the whole time God's just taking us on a journey to the right place. So I'm just speaking today to like whoever's listening, right? Because there's some of us today that we are convinced that God's left us. He's turned his back on us and we're beaten and bruised up. And our faith's just kind of hanging on by a thread. And we've been praying and we've been praying and we've been praying and we've been praying. And I'm just going to ask today, have we been praising in, in remembrance? Like this is the thing we're praying for. It's completely in God's ability to do. Who wants to pray to a God that doesn't have power? I don't want to waste my time with that. Who, who wants to pray to a God that maybe will be capable of rescuing us? I don't want to waste time on that. If I'm going to pray, if I'm going to, if I'm going to speak to God, I want to believe that he's a God that can do the very thing I'm asking him to do. And Ephesians lets us in on the secret. Ephesians 4, you know what it says? Now to him who's able to do above and beyond anything we could ever ask. Or imagine. That's who we're praying to. I don't don't know where we're at today. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe some of you guys are like, man, this totally missed me. I'm I'm in a great place today. Everything's going okay. Well, awesome. Praise the Lord. You better stock up on that. Because you don't know where God's moving you. And he may, he's God, he can do what he wants. Place you in the center of it, right? In the darkest place. 
But can I just speak this truth into this place? If he does, he's not going to waste it. It's not going to waste it. Our freedom is tied to the freedom of others. And when God lets you out, and he will let you out, there are going to be other chains that start hitting the ground. When God lets you out, there will be other cell doors that just fling open around you. Because our freedom is always tied to the freedom of others. That's the gospel chain today. So maybe you are in a good spot. You better learn the songs you're going to sing when you're not. You better learn about the faithfulness of God today because there's going to be a moment where you're going to need to shout the faithfulness of God, not because the people next door need to hear it, but because you need to hear it. And in the good place, in the good season, that's where you, that's where you water and you plant because you're going to have to harvest that someday. And for some of you today, you're in the opposite of that. You're like, man, I just wish I was in a good spot. Well, first of all, I want to say to you, God is the same God that gets you through the summer. He'll get you through the winter. He's the same God that gets you through the day. He'll get you through the night. That's that God. And today, maybe, you, maybe you've prayed over your situation and maybe you don't feel like God's rescuing you. Maybe God's saying this thorn is the thing that's going to remind you that I'm God. I don't know. This thing that you think's holding you back, it's the thing actually propelling you forward. This thing that you think is the anchor pulling you down, it's actually the, it's actually the rope lifting you up. I'm going to use it. And maybe God's just saying, um, yeah, you're, you're asking it. But you don't believe it. And you need to meet me here today in the jail with praise. You need to meet me in these moments when it hurts to say it. When everything in you feels like it's ripping out of you. And you need to lift your hand. And you need to say, God, you're so good. God, even today, you're good. Even though I'm going through this, you're good. Even with the bruises, you're good. Even though everything's falling apart, you're good. And you want good for me today. I believe I am blessed. Man, and some of you, that'll hurt coming out. I'm blessed. I'm called. I'm healed. I may not feel like it, but I'm headed that way. I'm healed. And I'm whole. I'm saved in Jesus' name. Highly favored wherever I'm at today. I'm highly favored and anointed and filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' name.